Amen. And how blessed we are to be in this place together. And, and as I reflect on the goodness of God, and just and I'm thinking about how God has blessed me and blessed our church. And as Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you know, in light of all that God has done in my life, in light of all that God has done in our lives, he said that, that we might present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. That is our reasonable act of worship. And we come today, and I pray that, that we would lay down anything that is not uh, in His will in our lives, that we would uh, come with open hands and, and that we would just engage in the mission of sharing the gospel and being on mission for the glory of His name. You know, we are in a time where there is a battle that is going on. You know, Pastor Chris shared that, you know, we just had a, a moment in a staff meeting where Kelly said, you know what, we were talking about, so we just need, you know, what do we call all these things that we're doing? And she's like, fight club. And I'm, at first I'm thinking, I'm not sure I'm resonating, you know, right here. Then the more I thought about it, well, we are in a battle. We're in a battle for so many things. And as we come together today, I, I want to tell you, we're in a battle in this this world, right, there's a battle that's going on against this virus, against all these things that are happening. But I want to tell you, I believe that there is a virus that is going through our land that is greater uh, and has greater impact than the coronavirus or any other virus. As we look around our nation, as we look around our world, we live in a time where there is a just raging uh, war of ideals that are coming from all different angles, that are proclaiming all different kind of things. Uh, a season back, I read a book by Jeff Myers, and he works with Summit Ministry, but he used this terminology of a virus, and he said that there's a raging war of ideals that are out there as viruses that are impacting our faith, and we must recognize them and battle their spread. In 2017, and if you're following along in the app, there's a section with sermon notes, and I put the link to this if you want to find it later, but there was a survey done among practicing Christians. And when we say practicing Christians, these are not simply people that have just checked this box on their uh, paper as Hugh shared in his testimony. There's, these are people that are saying, you know what, I'm coming together and I'm worshiping. And, and they list some criteria of what all that is. And I don't remember all the details of what it meant to them to be a practicing Christian. But among those people, 61% of uh, those people resonate and agree with ideals rooted in new spirituality where we would come together and pick a little bit of this and a little bit of that and we come up with our own uh, deal. 54% resonate with postmodernist views. 36% accept ideas associated with Marxism. 38% are sympathetic to the teachings of Islam and 29% believe ideas based on secularism. We are in a culture where pluralism, where syncretism, where uh, the division that is in our country is great. Division that is within uh, Christians is great. If you look around this country, not just in this year, not just in this week, but as you look around, we find a country that is filled with idols. We find biblical illiterates, and I thank God that we have a group of people here in this church that are hungry for God's Word, that are engaging in the Scriptures, that are gathering. And I've been so blessed uh, by those of you that have been engaging in the Bible reading plan together and just your comments, uh, all of the things that you're investing in. But we live uh, in an age of outrage, it's been termed. We live in an age where whatever is hot in that moment, people are going to scream about. And whoever screams the loudest appears uh, to be correct. And we, we live in this uh, time where there's so much division and so much need uh, 
for God's people to be different and for God's people, we need to fall upon our face before a holy God in repentance, right? For, uh, for, for the lack of, of, for the apathy that we have had in proclaiming the good news of the gospel as, as we uh, just look around. And, and on, on Tuesday morning, my heart stirred to the text that we're going to be in uh, today. There was a prayer that was prayed uh, on Monday of this week to open the 117th Congress. Uh, I began to receive texts on Tuesday morning, early that morning, of just uh, a little bit of fun uh, in the midst of things with the end of this prayer. Uh, we, many of us, uh, if we have uh, kind of seen any kind of news this week or we have connected uh, on social media or anywhere, we know that at the end of this prayer, uh, the person said, Amen, which uh, means so be it, right? It's this agreement. So in the, in the sermon today, uh, if you ever feel like saying amen, just go ahead. I need help along the way. And so uh, online, you know, feel free to comment those kind of things. But this uh, gentleman prayed, and at the end of that, he said amen and? Right, so we said those kind of things. And so, uh, you know, we had some conversation around that on Tuesday morning when I came into the office. We, I heard all kind of things. I'd heard uh, this week, uh, Drew told me that Sarah Kate had uh, gotten a mandolin. Uh, I was expecting it to be a woman to lend this morning, so I just, just saying, so, not really, um, but you know, there was things like that, my favorite one of all, uh, my favorite one of all, uh, there was a guy that had, had been picking on it a little bit, and on the next day, he said, I, I probably should say I'm sorry for picking on that, and you know, I, I, and, and they said, because he said, I figured out where it came from, and you know, there's this little silence, I used it on him in our staff meeting, I was like, guys, I'm sorry, we were kind of kidding about that yesterday, but figured out where it came from, and Christy's back there going, you know, she's like, she's like getting fired up on the inside, you know, I can see it, and I was like, yeah, it's from the Queen James Version, it's just this crazy, so, so there's that kind of thing, right, and so we're looking at that, but I want to tell you that the thing that hit me, and the reason that I stirred to this passage was, was not in the fun of this prayer, but it was something that was prayed just before that, and I think it represents so much about the culture that we live in. I want to show you just a clip um, just from the end of this prayer and we'll jump back in. Now may the God who created the world and everything in it bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious unto us. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon us and give us peace. Peace in our families. Peace across this land and dare I ask, O oh Lord, peace even in this chamber now and evermore. We ask it in the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma, and God known by many names, by many different faiths. A man and a woman. You know, if you listen to the whole prayer, and you can look it up, you'll see that when he began, you would think, you know, he was praying to my God, right? You know, you would listen to some of those things, and there were so many things about it that are in consistency with our faith, right, acknowledging the, the supremacy of our great God, recognizing the fallen nature of man, all those kind of things, but when he got to that place and he said, we ask in the name of the monotheistic God, and we could resonate with that, yeah, there is one true God, right, we, we can resonate in those things, but he said, when we ask this in the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma, and a God known by many names and faiths, listen, I want you to tell you something, I knew in those moments that he wasn't praying 
uh, to my God. Amen. And when I look at this passage and when I look at this thing, I want to preach to you today a message entitled The Gospel According to Congress. And we live in the midst of a land. And I want to tell you something. It could be that as our young people are in here, there is a battle raging uh, and there's this war of ideas that is coming against our students. There are young people and it could be the gospel that's according to your biology class or the gospel that's according to your English class or the gospel that's according to your uh, professor that you've just been introduced to in in your college class there are all these places and you can find a false gospel and in the midst of that it rests itself on this virus of tolerance that says that in this world right that we uh, are, are to be loving and loving in today's time has been defined as tolerance and tolerance has been defined as acceptance and affirmation My heart stirred when I heard this prayer. We find ourselves in a culture filled with postmodernism where people would say there is no absolute truth anyway. I want to make a statement to you this morning that love without truth is not love at all. And I look around our nation, I look around our culture. Honestly, I reflect on my life as a follower of Jesus Christ and I look at those that would fill out and check that box Christian that maybe in the Barna survey would have said that they are practicing Christians and I just want to say that at times by my behavior, by the behavior of people that profess the name of Jesus, there's only one of two things that can be happening. Either we do not believe the things that we profess. It's either that we are so apathetic that we look around at a broken world and we don't care. There's only one of those two things. Because there's a world of lostness around us. There's a, you know, the most dangerous thing about this coronavirus and any other sickness and illnesses, there are people dying all around us and they are entering into a Christless eternity without the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you something. I, I saw a big sign one time, Sherry and I were coming back from, from vacation somewhere been a couple of years ago but I'll never forget it it said no matter what the question Jesus is the answer and I want to just declare to you this morning that all my hope is in Jesus and I want to I want to challenge you this morning and all our hope is in him and a move of the gospel that would change lives from the inside out you know a bunch has happened over this past week a bunch has happened over this past year and as we try to process all this what do we do what do we do when we look at a culture when we look at a country, when we look at a world that is filled with idols, that is filled with lostness, that is broken, how do we engage that culture? How do we respond to the brokenness? When we see false teaching, when our spirit is provoked within us, when we, when we see a world that's worshiping idols. My heart immediately stirred when I heard the words of that prayer instantly in that second to Acts chapter 17. And I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word. Uh, and we're going to be in Acts 17 as we look at the Apostle Paul's trip to Athens, and I think we can see uh, just some similarities and some, some very clear teachings and ways that we can respond in the midst of this moment. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful, Lord, for your word, God, and I pray, God, that you would uh, take uh, your word, God, and that you would accomplish, Lord, we know that you will accomplish what you sent it forth to do, Father, and we pray, uh, God, that you would allow, God, whether it be through people that are 
are, are joining in via the internet, Lord, and the technology that you've given us, whether it's through people in this room, God, may you stir in our hearts, God, as we look at the condition of this world, God, at the virus, Lord, that is prevalent in our land, Lord, and may you allow us to leave different from this place, not filled with apathy, but, Lord, uh, filled with power. God, power in your spirit to proclaim the goodness, Lord. We pray, God, that you would open doors for the gospel, Lord, that you would fill us with boldness, Lord, that only comes from being in, in your presence, Lord, and being filled with your spirit, God, that we might proclaim that Jesus is Lord, that the resurrection, God, is evidence and that there is hope for all men. Father, we love you and we thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we dig into Acts 17, uh, at this time in the New Testament, is this time that we're looking at, uh, Athens was not quite the the powerhouse that it had been, this, this hub that it had been. Corinth had, had replaced that in so many ways, but it still remained this philosophical uh, hub uh, of the world. And so we see uh, writings from this time. Pagan writers would say that it is easier to find a god in Athens than it is a man. That There were people that would say that every building was named after a god, that every statue was erected in representation of a God. And so here we find Paul. Now Paul, along with Timothy and Silas, they had fled uh, persecution in Thessalonica. And so they were, uh, had gone to Berea. And when they find themselves there, they decide, hey, it's probably better that we get him out of here uh, before something big goes down. So they uh, escort Paul. We find in verse 15, it says, Now those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens. So here we are in Athens and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come and join him as soon as possible. They left. So he sends back for them, and he says they're going to come and join him there. And I'm wondering, what do we do in the meantime, right? If I'm Paul, and all of a sudden I'm in this city that is filled with all these idols, what do I do in the meantime? I'm waiting on my buddies. I'm waiting on my comrades. What do we do when we wait, right? Most of you put in headphones, and we listen to Spotify when we wait. When we have gaps of time in our day, we tune out the rest of the world, and we tune in Netflix, or we uh, engage in YouTube, or whatever things are around us. But I want to tell you, there's a world that is in desperate need to hear the good news of the gospel uh, while we wait. I'm happy to believe that maybe uh, it's in those moments of waiting, in those moments that are unplanned, in those moments that God allows us to intersect with people uh, to hear his good news. Now we're going to see Paul's about his father's business. He may be in that city by himself, but it doesn't slow him down. Look at verse 16. It says, now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he observed a city full of of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogue. This is how Paul normally did. He was reasoning with the Jews, and, and he would go and, and reason with the God-fearing Gentiles. He would engage in the marketplace every day, Scripture says, with those who happen to be present. Now, this spirit was provoking him. There was something in that, and, and the Greek's very strong in this. It's an evidence that he was provoked, that he was angry, uh, that, that he was infuriated at the sight of this blasphemy as a people worshipped all of these idols. He saw the brokenness of this, this world that he was in, this place that he was in, and it moved him to action. And, and I want to challenge you this as we look at our, our world, that it should, the brokenness of this world, it should pierce our hearts and move us to do something that makes a difference. There's a few ways we can respond. We can respond in anger. We can respond in that kind of way. We can respond in indifference. We can just not care. Or we can reflect on the gospel and we can respond in love. The way we react to the brokenness of our country is important. 
Two words have come to my mind as we've walked through this week and as I've thought about just where we're at. And the two words are grace and truth. May our grace be wide and may our truth, and I want to rephrase that because that's the way I worded it originally, but you'll notice on the slide I went and changed that word. This is not my truth. May our grace be wide and may the truth be narrow and may we center around the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He ran into the midst of our idolatry. He, in His great love, He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The gospel, friends, is is big enough to unite us. It is the only thing in this world that is big enough to unite us. Let's look at how Paul responds. It says that also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, so uh, we see that, that he's conversing with, him, with them and he, he's reasoning with them. It says the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers in verse 18 were conversing with him and some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Others, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Now the Epicureans, they thought that really the way that you would operate was to seek the most amount of pleasure and the least amount of pain. That was their thing. And their perspective was that that these gods that were out there, that they really had no interaction or interest in the things of this world. So they lived as practical atheists, right? They had felt like God had no interest or engagement in the world that they were in. And so they tried to find the most amount of pleasure and the least amount of pain. The Stoics, they uh, were a, a, a different uh, breed. They believed that self-mastery was the key to, to, to things, that they were indifferent to the, to the pleasures of this world. They were indifferent uh, to pain, they were they were pantheists, and they believed that God was in everything. That God uh, that that He was in all things. That nothing bothers them. Right, pleasure they don't no part of that. Pain uh, they're not going to be uh, impacted by that. They're stoic in that. And these people they represented people that had completely differing beliefs. They had completely differing perspectives. And 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 they looked at Paul, and some said, "Hey, what's this idle babbler doing?" And in, in the Greek, this word for idle babbler gives a picture of a chicken just picking up seeds and throwing them back out. They're like, he's just picking up these strange things and casting them uh, back out. No depth of understanding. No things. Others thought, "Hey, he's preaching Jesus and the resurrection." In the word that, that's translated resurrection, they thought this was another uh, deity that, that he was preaching Jesus and another God. They were so interested in always figuring out what the next God was and what the next God was. This was the perspective that they were having. And by the way, Jesus and the resurrection, can I remind you that that's where Paul's going every time. If you want to know like what Paul's going to do, he's going to meet people where they're at, and then he's going to take them to an empty tomb. He's going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he's going to land things on the resurrection. Every conversation, Jesus is alive. He rose from the grave. And may we, like the first followers of Jesus Christ, keep testifying to an empty tomb and to a resurrected Savior, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ. See, we are to pray and we are to proclaim the resurrection. But I'm going to tell you something. In today's church and in this modern world that we're living in, many times I believe we are missing the power that we read about in the Scriptures. We are missing the power that that as people went and proclaimed the goodness of God and the the gospel of God and, and, and shared of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we're missing that because we are doing it in our own strength we are people who uh, spend more time scrolling than we do on our knees before a holy god we we uh, are people that are content to walk and live in our own sin but i want to tell you something there's a power 
that comes from being uh, pure in our private life that results in a power in our public life when people will seek God and, and, and people will fall on their knees before God. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses, right? And we are to be His witnesses. And we are to testify to the resurrection of Jesus Christ wherever we go. And I want to tell you something. When we testify to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are testifying to the resurrection that's taking place in our life. And people are going to be watching to see what has happened in our life. What the resurrection, how it has impacted us. If we pass from death to life. Verse 19 it says, they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is you're proclaiming? What in the world are you uh, talking about? Can, can you tell us uh, about this? It says, for you're bringing some strange things to our ears. We haven't heard some of these. So we want to know what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. He says, man, I see that you are very religious in all respects. Paul meets people in their mess right where they're at, and he begins to engage with them. And I think it's really just a neat perspective. He's, he meets them where they're at. You know, you're talking to somebody that's an atheist. You know, Paul would in, engage with them in some way saying, you know what? Man, I've watched your life, and I hear and see what you're standing on it and you know your search for truth is something that I resonate with but Paul wouldn't leave them in that place he he meets them here and he says in verse 23 he says for while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship I found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God people are searching you find people wherever whether it be Indians that have been in a, a place by themselves you find people and they'll be worshiping the sun scripture says that we've been created Ecclesiastes 3 says that God has, has set eternity in our hearts that we've been created with eternity in our hearts Paul starts with this question he says this unknown God that you're searching for he said let me tell you who he is if we're going to proclaim the good news of the gospel we're going to have to care about people different than us and we're going to have to care about people different than us so much that we're willing to learn how to talk to them. You know, I had a funeral this past week. I was blessed to be a part of a funeral for Debbie Ronaldo and Stella Langley, Barry Breeden's aunt's funeral. And there was something that stood out to me as I was listening to them. She was very good at sign language. She had become proficient in sign language. And it was interesting to me why she had become proficient in sign language because I can assure you, like if my wife was deaf, I would learn sign language. If my kids were deaf, I would learn sign language. There would be things like that. We can see that. But I was wondering, and as I listened to that, they said, you know, there was a neighbor with some people that lived near us, and they were deaf. And what I saw about her was she cared enough about somebody else to learn how to engage with them. And if we are going to proclaim the good news of the gospel, we're going to have to love people enough that are different than us to, to learn to talk to them and it took work it takes work for us to do the study in the scriptures to engage and, and to learn how to do that but our the most important thing is that we've got to tell them who God is that's the most important thing in Acts 17 verse 24 we're going to keep trucking and we're going to see Paul uh, describe his God and it's going to be good he's awesome man so good our God is great right 
Look at this. He says, we've we got to tell him who God is. And he's going to start out. And he says, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth and does not dwell in temples made with hands. He says, I'm going to tell you just how big my God is. He said, I'm going to tell you the size of my God. Now, and these Athenians, they would have gods of the sea, and they'd have gods of the land, and they'd have gods of prosperity, and they'd have gods of all these kind of things. And, and Paul says, hey, I just want you to understand something. The gods of this world, they're too small. He said, but our God is greater, and he is creator. He is creator of all things. And nor, verse 25, is he served by human hands. He said, there is nothing that he is in need of. There are no human hands that serve him. There, there's nothing that he needs. He says, he's not served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself, not only is he creator, you're going to see in this verse that he is provider. It says that he created all things, but it says he, he gives to himself, to all people, life and breath and all things. He says, I want you to know about the supply of my God. He's not served by human hands. His needs are not provided in that direction. Fact is, he created those hands, and our God is in need of nothing. Can you resonate with that? Our, our God is in need of nothing. He provides all things. And he, and he starts with the very simplest of things. He said, from breath on down, anything you've got, if you want to know where it came from, it came from him. He provides all things. Our God is greater. He is provider. And he says, by the way, if you're wondering how you got here, he says in verse 26, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. Our God is greater. And by the way, his reign is without end. His reign is without end. He is sovereign over all things. Did you notice in that text, he said from one man, I love this, from one man, every nation, you know, this past year, there's been all kinds of things about racial reconciliation, and there's been all uh, kinds of, of, of things that we've seen and all that. I want to tell you something. You don't need any other book to understand that there is only one race, and it is the human race, right? And we are all uh, created in the image of God, right? And we, from, uh, the, we condemn racism, right? We, as God's people, we condemn racism. We value life. We say that every life from the womb to the tomb is sacred, and we stand for that no matter what this world says, no matter what things uh, come again, and we're willing uh, to engage in that mission. We're willing. We say, hey, you know what? We value human life, so we're going to engage in pregnancy care center work. We value human life, so we're going to be willing uh, to come alongside young single moms that may find out they're pregnant, and we're going to walk alongside them in love and grace. We're going to be part of that. We're going to be part of people like Pastor Chris that have been going uh, through fostering classes and who uh, are, are looking at those kind of things. We're going to say, you know what, we're not only going to say with our mouths that these are things that we believe, but we're going to live our lives in a way that reflects the values that are dear to God. And those things that are dear to Him, they're going to be dear to us. And Paul says, hey, you got a couple of purposes here. He says, he says in this passage, verse uh, 26, he says, he appointed their times and boundaries of their habitations, that we're here and we're going to inhabit the earth, right? He took man and he placed him in the garden to cultivate and keep it. Remember, work happened before the fall. He placed him with a purpose in, in cultivating and, and growing and working. We inhabit the earth, and most importantly, in verse 27, that we would seek him. Look at this. It says, now, if they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one. Paul says the most important thing, the most important thing for all of us is that we might know the one true 
God. And, and, and Paul says this on the contrast of a place there in Athens. You would uh, worship at, at the, uh, the, the temple of Artemis, right? And they would worship there. And, and that was this uh, prosperity and money and all these things. And you go and you make sacrifices there so that you could get something else in return, so that you could have uh, this wealth or so that you would have prosperity or the God of, of Nike, this goddess of victory, right? That maybe you run fast. You do all these things. We, they, there was always a means to an end. All these gods, they worshiped them so they could get something. And, and, and Paul says, that's not it. We're worshiping Him because of who He is. And He is everything. He is worth everything. His worship is, he is worth all of our worship. And there's nothing else that we're trying to get. And, and just in fellowship with Him, in a relationship with Him, is more than enough. He is glorious and He is majestic. He is all-knowing and He is all-powerful. He is creator and He is provider. Paul says, listen, He is transcendent. He is above all things. He, he is he is El Shaddai, right? He is God Almighty. He has created all things. He, uh, all the things on earth, beneath the earth, in the heavens above, but He exists independent from all those things. This is who He is, and everything is upheld by His mighty power. This is the God that we are worshiping. This is the God that Paul is doing. He says He's unknown how great and how deep, right? All the depth of his riches, Romans 11 says. And then both the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how unfathomable are his ways. For who is known the mind of the Lord? Nor became his counselor was first given to him that it might be paid back to him again. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. He said, this is my God. He is unknown and how unfathomable are his ways. But yet, He's not so far off, and we can know Him. He is imminent. He is present within creation, but He is separate from it. He is distinct from it. But in other words, what He's saying is there is no place that you can go that He is not there. There is no place where He is not God, and His sovereign control extends to everywhere all the time. And He is not far from us. Now that. Is an amazing God. And to think that He is mindful of us. Verse 28, He says, For in Him we live and move and exist. Some of your translations say live and move and have our being. This is something the Athenians would say about Zeus. And Paul uh, takes their poet and he says this. He says, In Him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, For we also are His children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked these times of ignorance, God is now declaring that all men, that all people everywhere should repent. Paul says this is who He is and this is how you know Him. We are to preach the gospel. We are to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ that all people everywhere should repent. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're joining with us in our online worship uh, setting today. And maybe the, the evidence of the resurrection has, resurrect, has resonated with you. Maybe you've been searching for this unknown God. Maybe you've been searching and saying, I know there's more. I know that there is more. He is not far. His love and His, his greatness have been declared. We see His work on the cross. We see, can I tell you, you are loved in a way more greater than you could ever imagine. Scripture says that God 
demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, like the psalmist said, my sin is ever before you. He said, my, I know my transgressions, right? And that's, the, that's really the first step, man, is just understanding just how far we are from a holy God, how desperately we are in need of his grace and his love. He says, even though, knowing just exactly who we are, Christ loved us. And he demonstrated that love on the cross of Christ. And all those who would repent and believe the gospel, who would surrender their lives, would pass from death to life, would experience resurrection power, would, would be changed and would be transformed. And maybe you've been searching for the unknown God. Well, we have proclaimed who He is today. And your response is repentance and surrender. Repentance just simply means a change of mind and a change of direction. We recognize uh, just our sin and we turn and we trust in Him. For those of us who are believers today, we how long has it been since we've been pierced in our spirit as we look at the brokenness of our world? Because the reality is, if we believe what we say we believe, then we would be telling others about the greatness. We have a cure, right, for the greatest virus of sin that is infecting our land. We have the only hope that there is. And either we don't believe it or we don't care. And I pray that we would leave here different. Because the reality is, in verse 31, he says, He has fixed the day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Through a man he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard the resurrection of the dead, when they heard this, when they heard it, and we need to lean in like the early church and be witnesses, both in action and in words, of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And it says when they heard it, and I want to tell you the same three things are going to happen to us. When they heard the resurrection uh, from the dead. When they heard this, some began to sneer. Some began to make fun. Some idle babbler. Some those kind of things. But there were some that says, uh, it says that, that some others said, we shall hear you again. How many of you, the very first time you heard the gospel, you responded in salvation? Anybody, the very, very first time you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, you responded in, in repentance and surrender? We need to continually be proclaiming the good news of the gospel. Others said, we'll hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out of their midst. But I want to tell you something. There were some men. You look at it. He said, some men joined and believed. Among who were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Mary, and others with them. There were some that believed the message of the gospel. I want to tell you, all three of those, whether they sneered him, blessed are you, were persecuted for my name's sake. Blessed are those when you were rejected, right? We, we see this picture that our responsibility is not the fruit, but our responsibility is to proclaim the good news of the gospel and trust them in the hands of a sovereign and a mighty God. And there are going to be some, right? Our faith will be tested as we go out into this world. But I want you to know we fight from victory and not for victory. Our faith will overcome and we will be victorious. Our faith when shared, though some will respond. And there will be a result of turning. Some will turn uh, their nose up and they'll turn away. Some will turn their ears up and say, you know what? I want to talk to you more. I want to hear more about this great God that you're telling me. I want to hear more about the evidence of the resurrection. And I want to tell you something. All those people, every one of them, they're going to be watching your life to see the evidence of the resurrection. They're going to be looking to see if what you're proclaiming is true. And may we live as evidence. But there's going to be some. There's going to be some that respond the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're going to join in. and They're going to be part of the family of God. And they're going to join on mission for the glory of God. And we're going to have the blessing of bringing them into a family and teaching them and 
discipling them and loving them and doing life together as brothers and sisters in Christ. May we be people that in the midst of a world that is raging with virus of all kind of ideas and craziness and tolerance, and may we be a people whose grace will be wide. May the truth be narrow. Lean and live as evidence of the resurrection. And may we be expectant at the day of his return. And may we be found faithful. Will you pray with me as the band comes? Father, we are grateful, Lord, for your word. God, and I pray, Lord, that you would, uh, God, allow, God, just this time that we sing and worship, Lord, this these moments that we're in, Lord, may they be a time of reflection. May they be a time of surrender. May they be a time of commitment, Lord. If there are those that are joining in our, our online campus, Lord, I pray, God, that this would be a time of worship for them, Lord, that they would reflect on, God, how you're speaking to them, God, on what their next step is in following you, next step of obedience, Lord. May we, God, may we reflect, God, what we believe. And may we do it in love in such a way that, God, this world, God, hears the good news of who you are. Lord, we love you. We pray, God, for any that don't know you, Lord, that you might stir in their hearts, God, that you might draw them to repentance, Lord, and that they might surrender in faith to you. Father, we love you. We ask, God, for you to do what only you can do, Lord, and that is change us from the inside out. We use us for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand?